power and the authority to command angels, evil angels, to throw themselves into the lake of fire. There is no power, more power than the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the blood that was supplied at the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We thank you, Father. I just want to come into agreement with Lewis's prayer. And I want to thank you, God, that you have all power in your hand to cast out and cast down any evil spirit. You are the one who is in control of all, God. All creation belongs to you, and that includes Satan and his demons. That includes us, God. You have power over demons, disease, death. You have power over sickness. You have power over addiction. And all the, the things that put us in bondage, God, we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to come and set us free from all those things. And we believe tonight that you can break every chain in Jesus' name. And we thank you, God. We thank you so much for that. We thank you for this, this beautiful uh, uh, worship, God, that these songs that uh, you inspired people to write. We thank you that we get to sing them to you every week. Uh, hopefully, maybe every day, God, we're here and, and we're singing to you at home. We're singing to you or listening to them in our car. And we get to come together and worship you. We just thank you for that, God. But we pray that it would not even just be so much about us, God. But, but we sing them to you to glorify your name. And we say that you can break every chain because that brings glory to your name, God. So we thank you for all these things. I thank you again for this for this night, God. And I just pray uh, for the rest of this service that you would be glorified in everything we do. Lead and guide us as we continue tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lewis, for uh, that worship. I always feel uh, like the Holy Spirit is just right on Lewis and just working through him every time, every time he plays. So... I thank you, God, for that, and thank you, Lewis, for making yourself available to do that. And uh, I want to welcome you all again, um, because uh, this is the, the part where uh, we start recording online, so, or, or maybe there's some people who, haven't, uh, who are just jumping on now and listening to us. So everyone online, I want to welcome you again. I want to remind you, if you're listening through Christian World Media or some other source, that this is uh, Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches, who you're listening to. And uh, again, I just want to invite you to to come out um, if you're in local in the area. We're located at 2810 Hypoluxo Road, Lantana, Florida. So please come and join us. If you're not able, we thank you for being online with us tonight. And um, just to, to let you guys know, uh, Pastor Joe is out of town today, and so is, is Liz. And so that's why he'd, he'd asked me to come and, and do the announcements and fill in for him this week. And then next week... We're going to have Thursday and Sunday two special messages from Pastor Brett Hennis, our, uh, our missionary and, uh, and pastor friend here at, at Freedom Church. So I want to invite you and, uh, to come out to that because, you know, Brett always preaches the fire. So I'm sure it's going to be good. I'm sure God is going to have a good word for you all through him. And uh, I, pray that I pray the same for tonight. And what we're going to... We're going to talk about tonight is a parable from the book of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, you guys can take out your Bibles now. And um, you can turn to the book of Luke, 
chapter 12. Our passage tonight is the parable of the rich fool. I titled this message, What Not to Do with Money or What Not to Do with Wealth. Because um, we learn from this parable basically that, what not to do with our possessions. Uh, because in this parable, Jesus, Jesus tells this story, and this is a story about a man who who hoards his possessions all for himself instead of using them for the glory of God. And, and this man in the story, God tells us what he thinks of him. And this is a story about a man who God thinks is a greedy fool. And Jesus tells this parable as a warning against greed and as an example of what not to do. Don't be like the man in this story that we're going to read tonight. Before I go into that at all, um, I just want to make a, a very um, I'm going to make a point of clarification, just so so nobody misunderstands or or take this takes this in the wrong way. I, I want to tell you my motivation for preaching this tonight, and why, like specifically, why did I choose this passage? I want to tell you, I did not choose this passage because I think Freedom Church is a greedy church. I don't think Freedom Church is a greedy church. Uh, I don't think any of you are greedy. I want to make that very clear up front. Um, I think actually Freedom Church is a very generous church. And I've actually uh, seen that firsthand through some experience when we did some mission trips here with Pastor Joe, especially the uh, the first mission trip we did together in, in 2018. Uh, my experience here was that this is a generous church. And I was actually, I was actually shocked by the amount uh, and the generosity of this church that that you guys gave toward that trip, and um, so I, I want to make that clear that that that's not why I chose this passage. It's not like I was looking through my Bible thinking, well, I got to preach this week, and you know what what do these people need? It's a lot of greedy people in this church, and they lay love money and they're money hungry. So I'm going to preach on the parable of the rich fool because they're all rich fools. No, no, no. Please just let me make that clear right now that this is not why I chose this passage. Um, but the reason I chose this passage is because of, of the way that it, it affected me recently. And uh, as most of you probably know, I'm, I'm currently studying in a college, studying ministry and theology and, and things like that. And over the summer, I did a class that was called Wealth Ethics in the New Testament. And in this class, we talked all about money, possessions. We talked about wealth and poverty and and we covered a lot of, of what the New Testament has to say about those subjects. And as we were going through the different scriptures in the New Testament on possessions and on money and the attitudes we're supposed to have toward them and the outlook that we're supposed to have as Christians toward uh, those things, I realized that I had some ideas about money and possessions that came into conflict with what the Word of God has to say. And I think that some of those, they weren't even so, I wasn't even so conscious of them. They're just things that our culture believes about money, especially American culture and things related to the American dream and, and the purpose of life that we're kind of, uh, the things of life that are elevated in our country and in our culture kind of got into my heart and into my mind. 
And as we're going through these scriptures, I realize, wait a second, I think this, but that doesn't seem to be lining up with the word of God. One example of, of one of these ideas and mentalities that I had in my own mind and heart was, was, was this. I thought as long as, as long as I earn my money honestly, as long as I'm not stealing or cheating someone, as long as I'm working hard, that, that money and possessions, they're all mine. And I can basically do whatever I want with them. Yeah, maybe I have to pay my tithe, but, but you know, it's, if it's mine, I can, I can just do what, whatever I want, you know. And anything, anything I do f- uh, with them that contributes to the kingdom of God or, or and is a generous act, that's over and above, you know, what's required. And, and I just want to ask the question, is that really the case? We're going to see that this parable has something to say about that. I've also uh, discovered that I've always thought that having more possessions is always better than having less possessions. And I want to ask the question, is that always really the case? Um, another idea is that I think we, we normally have is that uh, the more the bigger and better my possessions are, and the more possessions that I have, the more money I have in the bank, the more the better my life is going to be that's going to enhance my life and so if i have a little my life's going to be pretty good if i have more than that my life's going to be really good if i have an abundance i don't even know what to do with my life's going to be amazing but is that really true is that always the case i think the par- this parable tonight challenges all of these assumptions that are kind of embedded or maybe hidden a little bit in our culture and and so it's good for us to look at the scriptures and and see where we are and see where jesus is coming from and see if we can take where we are and line it up just a little bit more into what where jesus is at where jesus wants us to be that's the process we go through as christians right that process of sanctification we're saved we're going to heaven, we're secure in God, but we continue to grow in him and become more and more like Jesus as we walk through this life until it is the time for him to, to take us home. So God really worked powerfully in me through, uh, through what I learned, especially through this parable of the rich fool, and so I just wanted to share that with you all and let God speak to you all through it the way that he has spoken to me. So uh, if you're not at Luke 12 yet, um, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, but before we, we dig deep into the passage itself, I need to give you a little information that's going to help you understand the context of this passage uh, better. So first thing I want you to, to understand is the basic structure of the Gospel of Luke and where this parable is situated in the in the book of Luke, because that's going to matter a little bit for how we how we understand what Jesus is doing here with this parable. So the Gospel of Luke can be divided basically into four major sections. You could divide it up many you know other ways or or many other subdivisions other than that. But the Gospel of Luke can be broken down into these four major sections. The first one is the birth of Jesus and his preparation for ministry. Uh, Then after that, we have a whole section about his ministry in Galilee. That's when he starts his ministry, and he ministers in that area for a while. Then we get to the third section, which is, we can call it the journey to Jerusalem. Some have called it on the way to Jerusalem. 
And then the last section is when Jesus is actually in Jerusalem, where he's crucified, buried, resurrected, and then it ends with him ascending to heaven. And our passage is found within this third section, the journey to Jerusalem. And right before we get to this section, it starts in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. But right before this section and this movement in, in Luke begins, Jesus tells his disciples this, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And I believe, if I, I remember correctly, this is actually the first instance where Jesus directly tells his disciples, I'm going to be killed. And they're very confused about this. They don't really understand what he, he means. And I believe one of the Gospels actually says they were, they were just afraid to ask him, so they remained confused. But Jesus tells them what's about to happen, his, his ultimate destiny, why, why he came to this earth, the purpose that the reason he came to this earth and the work that he came to accomplish, and it is his death on the cross for our sins. So he tells them this, and then just after uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 51 says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So here's what's, what's happening. He begins his ministry in, in chapter 4. He's ministering in Galilee, doing miracles, healing the sick, preaching, teaching, all that stuff. And then we get to this section, and it says, Now Jesus decided, I'm going to Jerusalem. And he set his face like a flint toward that city. And he begins with his disciples to head toward Jerusalem. And this is a major turning point in the Gospel of Luke. And this is significant because Jesus not just to a city, not just going to a city to go to the city, to go to Jerusalem. He's going there because he's on his way to the cross. He's heading, as I've said, toward his, his ultimate destination and, and to fulfill the purpose for which he came. And it's at this point that things in the, the Gospel of Luke and in the story of Jesus start to heat up. And he start, begins to talk about a lot more serious matters. He starts to talk about discipleship. The demands of discipleship become a prominent theme in this section. He starts to talk about the cost of discipleship, the rejection that's going to come to those who are associated with him 